So this morning as we come to the Word, uh, we are once again in the book of Ephesians. Um, but this chapter 4, the beginning of chapter 4, we'll, we'll be um, looking at Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. It marks a, a dramatic shift in the book of Ephesians. The first three chapters were doctrinal teachings that Paul was, was bringing and he was reminding the Ephesians and beginning in chapter 4, where we are today, uh, we begin a, a series of practical teachings, how to take those doctrinal things that Paul uh, taught, how to apply those in our lives. So if you could please turn in, in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 4, as uh, I will read for you our, our scripture for today, Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Have you ever discovered that someone that you know in a public way, such as maybe a celebrity, a sports figure, or even a, a popular speaker or preacher, um, that they perhaps have a very different life privately than they do publicly? Um, I worked, volunteered for Ichthus Ministries for a number of years, and I got to see behind the scenes some of the the bigger named uh, Christian contemporary Christian music singers and was surprised at the difference in character that I would see once they were not on stage with a microphone in their hand. Perhaps you know somebody that's like that that is a, is a family member. You have a family member that behaves very differently in public than they do privately. And, and to some extent, we, when we're working, we have a certain uh, work persona. Perhaps we have to be more organized or more serious than we would be in our, in our private lives. But that's not really what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a matter of character, the way that, that we purport ourselves. Um, perhaps it's a family member, someone that you know really well. And when you're in public with them, you're like, they're not really this way. And maybe it's you. Perhaps you put on a different face when you're in public. Perhaps you put on smiles. And when you're in private, it's, it's a very different situation. What we'll be looking at uh, as we begin Ephesians chapter 4 today is how we ought to live our lives in light of the reality of our redemption. So we'll begin and we'll look at verse 1 as... It's, it's kind of a, a second introduction that Paul does, and this is a common introduction that we see. Paul begins, he says, I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. And the phrase, prisoner of the Lord, is, is a common refrain. <clears throat> we see that in several places. In Philemon uh, chapter 1, Paul begins, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus. Uh, we see it in other places, even in 
uh, Ephesians. Uh, Paul identifies himself as a prisoner for the Lord. And he is a, a literal prisoner in that he is in chains and he is under guard and he is under condemnation of uh, awaiting a judgment. And this is a reminder from Paul to the Ephesians of where he is and what he's, he's suffering. It's a gentle reminder that the Christian walk can be costly. Paul has given up his freedom. Why is Paul in prison? What, for what crimes uh, is he imprisoned? Why was he paying such a high cost? For obedience. His obedience to God on behalf of the Gentiles is why he is in prison, because he refused to stop preaching of Christ and him crucified. So he, he preached on behalf of us, we are Gentiles, and he preached the gospel uh, despite the, the church, the, the synagogue, and the, the Pharisees, besides the, beside the Jewish rulers' desires for him not to do so. He obeyed God. <clears throat> I reference this scripture a lot because it's, I think it's an important scripture for us to think about. First uh, Samuel 15, 22. First Samuel 15, 22. If you're looking for a scripture that you can, something you can memorize that, that, that you can hold on to, First uh, Samuel 15, 22 may be a good one. And Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices? as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. So is, it, is, is God holding out for us to make sacrifices, or is his desire for us to obey? The word says the desire for God is that we obey his commandments. That is better. It's better for us to obey than it is for us to atone for failing to obey. God doesn't need our sacrifices. He doesn't need the fatted calf. He doesn't doesn't need the spotless lamb. God desires our obedience. Paul obeyed God by continuing to preach the word after, after being stoned, after being beaten, after being whipped, shipwrecked, and imprisoned. So Paul, who has seen and endured all these things, he has lived out the repercussions of obeying God. When he comes to the Ephesians, what is it that he urges them to do? Does he tell them to to flee, to get on a, a ship for Tarshish? No. Does he tell them to hide? Hide what you're doing. Put, put your light under a basket. Does he tell them to stop preaching lest they suffer the same fate as him? I mean, could you imagine the suffering of Paul? Would he want that on anybody else? To be beaten to the point of death many times? To be stoned to death, left for dead? To be shipwrecked multiple times? To be snake bitten? Would he wish that on anyone? No, but... He doesn't tell them to stop doing the things that he did that got him in prison. Instead, he calls them to walk in a manner worthy of their calling, to walk in good works. 
Erasmus, in his uh, commentary on Ephesians, says, Good works are witness of true doctrine. If you want to see what someone believes and what conviction, with what conviction they believe it, look at their behavior. That will tell you the fruit of what they do will tell you what it is at the core that they believe. This is a good litmus test for ourselves. What, what behavior, what, what doctrinal beliefs does our behavior reflect? So Paul urges the Ephesians to walk in a manner worthy of their calling. What does he mean by a calling? We can look in the, the, the New Testament has about almost 60 different uh, uses of the word calling. And it, it, it has various different things. Sometimes it's a call to a vocation. Sometimes it is, the, the word that is used is, um, and his name will be called John, as in John the Baptist. It's used in that instance. Uh, all it's Jesus calls Lazarus out of the tomb. But primarily... The calling that we see, this, this phrase and the usage of this word, is a call from God unto salvation. It is God calling us out of our condemnation and into salvation. So, when we hear this, Paul is telling them to be worthy of their calling, we have to identify where the call comes from, right? We have to identify that this is a call made by God. God is calling us, and this is a sovereign call. Erasmus goes on to say that to walk worthy of the calling we have been called to is to demonstrate that our calling is from God. How do we, how do we demonstrate that we're doing, that we're obeying and doing what God says to do, we walk. We walk in his ways. <clears throat> so in the, the New Testament, this word is most often associated with salvation. So how do we walk in such a way that it is clear that we have been redeemed? Uh, listen to Paul's greeting to the Romans in Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. Romans 1, 1 through 6. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. These things were not incidental. The call on your life is not a, an incidental thing. It is an intentional, specific, decisive thing. You've been intentionally called by God. You've been intentionally redeemed by God. It is by His power that He is saved. 
that you are saved? It is by his will, his desire, that you are saved? And this is another important thing for us to think about. In your own life, have you been called? Paul calls on us to test yourselves, to know that you're in the faith. Is there a call on your life? Have you been called out of darkness into salvation? If you are, if you've been called by God to salvation, your race isn't over. A lot of times in Christianity, we paint a picture that if you just invite Christ into your heart, then everything is cool. Your life becomes easy. It's a skate. All the problems that you had before just vanish, and everything is easy and great. But the reality is, when you come to Christ, when you answer the call, your race begins. If you're in Christ, your journey of reconciliation with God has begun. Your walk has begun. Paul's exhortation and mine is to make it a worthy walk. Walk with care to honor God. Doing this, like doing anything else that God calls us to do, is good for us. It's the best thing for us. There is not a better path that we can walk than the path that God sets before us. There is not an easier road. An easier road would not be worthwhile. We are to walk in a worthy manner. Paul is, 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 is very clear in, in a couple places. Follow me. Not that I'm perfect. Follow me because I am on this path. Let's walk together. Okay, so we are to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. Our calling is a calling from God, from death to life. We were not sick in our sins and trespasses. We were dead in our sins and trespasses. We've been made alive. And if you've been made alive, then your call is to walk in a manner worthy. How do we do that? How do we walk in a manner worthy of such a calling? Could you imagine if some tragedy befell you, you were hit by a car, and you were killed, and then suddenly you weren't dead any longer. You were alive, and not only were you alive, but you were more alive than you ever were before. In a much greater sense, we were stillborn in our spirit. We were born dead. But God... Our hearts of stone have been replaced with a heart of flesh. And now, as a response, we're called to walk in a worthy manner. How do we do that? We walk in humility. We walk in gentleness. Verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another. Humility was a concept that was despised in the the Greco-Roman culture. There wasn't even a word for humility in Greek or Latin at the time that Paul wrote this letter. Men were to be strong-souled. 
They were to be, they were to emulate the, the gods that of the, the Roman mythology and the Greek mythology, which were in essence Zeus and, and these things. They were better versions of men. So they were, you, in that culture, you were called to be strong soul, to be strong in body. The idea of humility was for slaves. Christians likely coined the phrase humility. And Paul not only extols that, that people are humble, but he also extols them to be gentle. We see this term, the same term used, translated as meekness. You'll see meekness mentioned many times throughout the, the New Testament. I remember uh, uh, growing up, I saw a shirt that had Charles Barkley. It said, the meek will inherit the earth, but they won't get the ball. And this is the concept that we have in our culture, that people who are meek are weak. But this is another fallacy. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is strength under control. It's not bravado. It's not machismo. It is strength under control. Why does Paul tell us to have humility and tell us to have gentleness? to be of a low spirit, probably because Jesus used these terms to describe himself. Men, you should be familiar with Matthew eleven twenty nine. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for yourselves. Matthew eleven twenty nine. Jesus says, I am gentle. I am lowly. Does, does Jesus lack power? Does Jesus lack strength? No. If he could, he could have called legions of angels to come and pull him from the cross. When he was in Gethsemane, he could have laid low all, all that came, all the soldiers, all the, all the scribes, everyone that came to take him. They didn't take him because he lacked the strength. But in meekness, he was controlled. And Paul is extorting, uh, extolling his listeners and his readers to do just that, to, to have humility, not to put yourself above others, but to be a servant as Christ was a servant, as Paul himself is a servant. We didn't come amongst you to, to take from you. We came to serve. This is what Paul is saying, to be humble and to be meek. Have strength, but don't use strength for your own glory. Walk in a manner worthy of our calling. We do that when we walk in humility and in gentleness. Also, we are to be patient, bearing with one another in love. Are these concerns for us today? Do we have an issue with humility? Do we have an issue with gentleness? Do we have trouble being patient and bearing with one another in love? Do we have a problem with arrogance in our Christian lives today? And when I say we, I don't mean we, I mean we. Have you ever made a disparaging remark over a person or church's theological beliefs? Have you ever reckoned that someone is likely so wicked 
that they're beyond being saved. Have you ever wished that there was a police officer on hand to witness the person that just passed you going much faster than they should? Would you, upon noticing that you were also going way faster than you should, wish there was a police officer there to correct you? Likely no. Have you ever been short-tempered with someone for really no good reason? Arrogance, gruffness, aggressiveness, these things are they're, they're all ingrained in our sinful nature, but they have no place in our walk. We need to put these things aside. And it's, this is difficult because every day we get up and we battle this sinful, sinful nature, this sinful flesh, our desire for our kingdom. We really have to guard against this. Um, I read a story this week by um, recounted by R. Kent Hughes uh, who said that there was a, a large church in his area that uh, had, a, had a violent split, a very difficult split, so much so that they disregarded the scripture, uh, the scripture's called to not go to court um, with other believers, not to take other believers to court. And they, they went to court over the matter of this church split to settle the dispute of who gets the building and who has to go find somewhere else to be. So the, the, the court proceedings, they kicked the case out and said, this isn't something for us to decide. It goes back to that denomination's church court, which is where it should have been in the first place. And they go through this whole process of hearing both sides of the case, getting down to the details and finally making a decision, okay, this group keeps the building. The other group, they went on, found another building, started another church somewhere else. But in the, the church court's proceedings, what they discovered was the entire dispute began when an elder noticed that a child sitting next to him had a bigger piece of ham than he did on their plate. That sounds ridiculous. Sounds utterly ridiculous. But if you take some of the biggest problems that you have, you can probably trace it back to some small sin that we've allowed to fester. That instead of walking in meekness and in, and in gentleness, we said, you know, I deserve a bigger piece of ham than some seven-year-old kid. Look at the size of me. I should have two pieces of ham. I deserve that. That's not meekness. That's not humility. That's not gentleness. That's not patience. That's not bearing in love with one another. He should have cut the, the child's ham for him. He should have given him his own ham. But no, our desire in our sinful flesh is for our kingdom. And Paul is saying, no, don't walk that way. Walk this way. Walk in a manner worthy of the call on your life because you've been redeemed. You were bought with a price, a very high price. This is tough. I can be hard to get along with. I wrestle with my sinful flesh. 
every day. I want my own way. I want things to go the way I think they ought to go. Every day, I have to strive to walk in a manner worthy of my calling from God. Every day. Thankfully, we don't walk it alone. We have a unity in the Spirit of God that dwells within us. We've, we've talked several times, I know, in different settings about how you'll be somewhere. Maybe you're on an airplane and you'll see somebody with a certain book, a Christian book, and, and you'll ask a question and you'll spark a conversation and you'll find out that somebody that lives in Phoenix, Arizona is also a believer. And then you spend an hour just chatting about the goodness of God and the things he's doing in your life. This is that's the Spirit of God in you recognizing the Spirit of God in someone else. Verse 3 says that we ought to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. A bond. We're fused together. We have, as, as redeemed, elect people of God, we have a bond natural bond a bond of god 1 corinthians 6:17 1 corinthians 6:17 says but he who is joined to the lord becomes one spirit with him Amen. if each of us is are joined to christ through one spirit what does that mean for us we also are joined together we are joint heirs with christ Another uh, further on in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 12, 11 through 13. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 12, 11 through 13. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills, just as the body is one and has many members. <clears throat> and all the members of the body, though many, are one body. So it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and were all made to drink of one spirit. We have unity around the Spirit of God. If you ever have a chance, if you look at publications of the different missionary organizations and, and you, you read articles about Christians across the globe, and you sit and you think about how in a tiny village that may not have electricity, that has well water, in a small building that is more likely would be considered a hut with dirt floors, that with no seating, but you have a rug that you sit on, they come and they worship the same God by the power of the same Spirit. Their hope is in the same Christ. We're together. We're one spirit. Philippians 1.27 Philippians 1.27 says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So, it's hard for us to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. 
It's hard for us to walk in humility. It's hard for us to be gentle. It's hard for us to be patient with one another, to bear with one another in love. But as we walk together, it is easier. As we walk together, we're strengthened. Really, all we have to do is just look back a couple chapters in this book in Ephesians 2. 13 through 16. Ephesians 2, 13 through 16. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Specifically, this is talking about a reconciliation between Jew and Gentile. But the reality is we all have this same reconciliation. There are people of different denominations that have the same core beliefs as us that believe other things differently. These are our brothers and sisters. And we need to to think about that. Our unity is no accident. This This is God's call. This is God's design. It was paid for at a great price. If God's Spirit dwells within you, then you should be eager to maintain the bond of peace with those of like spirit. What does it mean to maintain? I mean, you know, if we're if we're in one spirit, if we're together, it should just kind of happen, right? But it's not it's not the case. As a young Christian, I assumed that that everybody just really liked each other and that's why the church was able to get together and was able to function, was able to do well. But you find out that there are personality clashes, there are, are, are different experiences, people have different opinions, people have different ideas. Um, those things, we have to actively be humble. We have to try to be gentle. We have to bear with one another patiently. We have to, to be considerate of those things. We have to come to a situation and say, you know, I would like to wring this person's neck, but that is not the spirit with which we are called to. That is my sinfulness. I need to lay aside the the desire that I have, and we need to come together in a spirit of unity. I heard a pastor once say, you should work hard to get along with all believers because you're going to be together for eternity. Have you ever thought about that? Are there people in your life that you you feel like that they are saved, but you're like, that guy. Well, you and that guy are going to be together forever. So we we ought to work together. We ought to walk together. We ought to have, uh, we ought to uh, maintain this bond of peace that we have. You maintain it like you maintain anything else. You take care. You take care with what you say. You take care of, of what you do. And if, if you 
meet another person that is a, a believer, that's a follower of Christ, you are united together in spirit, then this is what Paul is calling us to do. So he, he tells us that we ought to walk in a manner worthy of this calling. We're to be humble, we're to be gentle, we're to be patient, we're to bear with one another. And how does this play out and how does this work out in our, in our everyday lives? It's important for us to, to just be aware. Be aware, be careful of what we say, be careful of what we do. Recognize that we are united in Christ, that we will all be saved by the same Spirit. We'll be saved, we'll be covered, our sins will be covered by the same blood. That each of us, as we walk in life, we are all coming together at the foot of the cross of Christ. We're coming together as we move closer toward God, we, we necessarily come closer together. So my exhortation for today, today if you are a believer, is, is this week strive to live, to walk humbly. Strive to have gentleness and to be patient, to bear with those in love that are around you. And for you to to maintain the bond of peace that we all share together. This is the the will of God in our lives. This is, for us, peace. It is peace for us to know uh, that we walk together and that that we don't have to walk alone. It, It is difficult to walk alone. But when you walk together with someone, the way becomes easier. If you're here today and you are not in Christ... If you're not redeemed, then you have a much bigger issue that you need to address. Your reconciliation isn't with the person sitting next to you. Your reconciliation is a matter between you and the creator of all things. The the penultimate of meekness. God, who has all power and who is just in destroying us because of our sin, is merciful. Sometimes we can think that as we live in our sin, that there is no God because he didn't strike me dead for doing this thing that I did that I know I shouldn't have done. But God is merciful. God is long-suffering, desiring that none would be condemned. But the reality is, at the end of our lives, we will go before God and we will either make an account for our lives, everything, every deed that we ever did, every walk that we ever took, we will make an account before God. We will, as in court, plead our case for why we did the things that we did that are abhorrent to God, that God hates. And if we stand alone before God, we have no case. Our only hope is that we have an advocate in Christ Jesus who comes between us, that he absorbs the wrath of God that is just, 
And he absorbs that wrath on our behalf so that we do not. That is our only hope. So if you're here today and you have not surrendered your life to Christ, if you're here today building your own kingdom as hard as you can, I urge you, today is the day of salvation. I urge you, go to God, confess your sins, repent of your sins, believe in Jesus, and begin to walk in a manner worthy of an incredible calling. A calling that is from death unto life. Let's pray together. Most gracious God, this calling that you have put on our lives is an incredible joy. Difficult as it seems, Father, this life This Christian walk is our only hope of peace, of joy, of salvation. Father, I pray that we would come and with joy we would walk humbly. With joy we would be gentle. That we would be patient. We would bear with one another. That, Father, our our desire would be to see this bond of peace flourish among us. That, Father, we would honor your name. Our desire would be to be made in the image of Christ. Our desire would be to see your name lifted up. And our desire would be to see our neighbors, our friends, our co-workers, people we meet at Walmart, people we, we meet on a plane, that they would know that there is a redemption in Christ Jesus. And there is unity with the body in your spirit. That, Father, there is nothing good in us. There is no merit which you see and choose us for salvation. The merit is your own. We don't earn a place. Father, I pray that we would understand that that there are many people that are corpses walking among us, that they are dead in their spirit, they are dead in their sins and their trespasses, and they are in desperate need of the gospel. I pray, Lord, that we would have the boldness to to come, to bring your word, and that we would have the the strength to uh, guide them in the truth, to share the gospel, and then lead them to your word, so that they might know, Father, that your spirit will come and do its work. Lord, as we go today, I pray that you would imprint on our heart this reality that we have these doctrinal teachings, these these good things that you have set forth for us to do, but Father, we have to walk in them. That we have to uh, engage. That we have to be aware of the things that you're doing. And that you intend for us to, as your word says, to work out our our salvation with fear and trembling. Father, that uh, as you need your word into our hearts, and as together we cast out the, the old man, put aside the deeds of the flesh, 
and are sanctified, that, Father, you are glorified in all these things. And, Lord, we pray in the name of your Son, Jesus, that uh, that you would give us the strength to go from this place, Father, and, and to, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that you've put on our lives. Amen.